JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group plotline, I kind of wasted the Darius Rucker-led Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> lead-in for the voice of the Pacers, Chris Denary right there. When I go blind, yeah. did you know that that was directed at you, for you? Oh, oh, absolutely. Uh, I was listening yesterday. I was uh, driving back home from being at some meetings at the Fieldhouse, and I heard you and Jake uh, right before three. Oh, yeah, yeah. About- Talking about my love of Darius Rucker and Hootie and the Blowfish, and unfortunately, I did not. My wife and I did not see Darius this summer. I uh, talked to his drummer Jeff Marino, a Center Grove grad, yes. quite a bit this year, but uh, they just weren't in the area. It's funny they were down in Nashville this weekend, but it just it just wasn't going to work. So, hopefully, they'll be somewhere in the Midwest next year, a few times that we can see them. Because you're right, they're. There have been some summers where I think we've seen him three or four times, um, and this year it was the big donut. So, but he has a new album out, excellent as always. So, uh, you know, I'll just I'll just put it on, you know, listen to it that way. Is uh, so Jeff Marino is still the drummer, right, from Center Grove? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep, yep. He's, uh, you know, what's funny about and what's great about that band is they've been together for oh more than a decade. And all of them are the same. I mean, the bass player, the guitar player, uh, uh, Dar- um, Jeff on drums. Uh, they're all, all you know, the yeah. continuity has been amazing, which, you know, doesn't happen a lot of times in music. So, uh, but yeah, Jeff will be up. I think he, he and his son Max are going to do the Colts Pacers doubleheader. Um, I think the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I think the Colts play at home and then the Pacers play the next night. So they're gonna they're gonna be in Indianapolis for that. So it's always great to see him. It's uh, Chris Denary with us too. It's cool that he's from Senate Grove. I believe grew up between Fairview Road and uh, County Line Road down there uh, in the yeah. in the north now section of what is known as Senate Grove on the south side. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is uh, you know I've been a long time hooting the Blowfish and Darius fan, and I I didn't meet Jeff until well, it's been a it's been a while now, but we were uh, we were at Ruoff. And somebody goes, hey, Denary, did you know that Jeff is a Center Grove grad? And so I had a chance to meet him, and we were driving to Cincinnati the next day to see him. And that's, you know, we hung out together, and you know, we've been good friends ever since. So um, yeah, he's he'll when he comes, he Rick, Rick Carlisle is a big uh, Darius Hootie and the Blowfish fan. So uh, it's it's always great when Jeff comes, uh, especially the last few years with Rick being the head coach. And Rick, I believe, also has a pretty tight relationship with Bruce Hornsby of Bruce Hornsby and the Range fame, too, right? 
Hey, no question. And last year when we were in Dallas, um, he, you know, he still had his place in Dallas because his daughter was finishing up high school and his wife Donna was there and he invited staff members over to his place. And I mean, he hit the piano and you would think you were at a concert. I mean, it was fantastic. He is he is just a very, very talented, not just a talented basketball coach, but a talented uh, piano player and musician as well. Yeah. And his son played at LSU, did he not collegially? Wasn't his son? Yeah. I think, at LSU? Yeah. 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 I think Hornsby's son. Yeah. I know he was a division one player. Yeah. He was a shooter uh, too. I believe a shooter for LSU yeah. back then. So, but, but no, I was also talking about Rick. I mean, Rick, yeah. Rick Carlisle is a very talented, no, uh, no doubt, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. No, about musician and he loves music too, which is really cool. So it seems like he's got a lot of things going, uh, along with that focus on the, the Pacers. Hey, Chris, I've mentioned and You don't have to make a, a firm call on this. I don't have any expectation of that, but, uh, my expectations for the Pacers are a little bit more lofty, I think, than what you see on average. I have suggested 45 wins, which would be 10 more than a year ago, which would be 20 more than two years ago. Is that shooting too high in your estimation? Well, I think uh, I, I, here's what I would say is this group wants to win. I mean, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, you know, Miles Turner wants to get back to the playoffs. I mean, they're hungry um, you know, to get back there. And you know, I think the steps that they've taken the last couple of off seasons have been big. Um, they, I think, you know, from Rick Carlisle to the front office, they've been, they've not really put a number on it. I mean, I think they have some expectations, but um, it's pretty good Eastern conference. There's a lot of parody, uh, but I, I definitely think in the forties is something that you want to shoot for. No question about that. Um, you know, to see, you know, where you can take it. I, I think it's a very deep team. I think from 1 to 15, this is as good a roster as the Pacers have had. I'm not saying it's the best roster, you know, maybe at the top. I, I think it's pretty good. But I, but there are going to be guys, John, that are like 13th, 14th, and 15th that could be in a rotation in the NBA, and they're not playing. Um, and so I think that's created a lot of competition in training camp, and, and I think we'll fuel these guys because, to your point, um, Tyrese Halliburton said it. He goes, I'm tired of losing. Um, you know, he was not a part of winning teams in Sacramento. He's come here. Yeah, he and, he, he and myself both right there. We're both yeah. in lockstep with that. Yes. Well, and 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 he he has embraced the leadership role here. There is no question. I mean, and and we saw that uh, the other night in the first preseason home game. I mean, just how much different the team was with him on the floor than when he wasn't on the floor in the first two games. So uh, there's a definite hunger among this group. Uh, It's a really good group. I think Rick and his staff have done a really good job, the front office, putting together guys um, that like each other, but that push each other, that are competitive. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out when the season starts. But I, I do think this group is very hungry to get back to the postseason. So, Chris Denary, voice of the Pacers via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Not too far away now, closing out the preseason with Cleveland coming up, I believe, on Friday night. Too. Coverage begins right here at 630. Um, has... Jalen Smith, I don't know, do you have any sense of, rotationally speaking, because Jalen Smith has looked really good so far. Has he maybe gotten in front, or maybe in front right now, I guess I should phrase it this way, of Isaiah Jackson to start this season? Has he played at that level to do that, or do we still not know yet? In my eyes, I mean, in three games, yes. he He's, he's played very, very well. Now, I, I still think it's, a competition every day in practice 
Rick Carlisle had said before uh, the game against Atlanta, he felt that the competition in practice had been better than you know what they had shown in the first two games. And again, they played a game without Miles Turner, and they played two games without Tyrese Halliburton. But I do think Jalen Smith has played very, very well. Um, you know, he's changed his body in the offseason. He's put on weight, put on muscle. Uh, you know, one of the things he did not do very well last year was shoot the ball. Um, two years ago when he came to the Pacers, he, he shot the three-point shot pretty well. But I think he's done a really good job around the rim. I think he's rebounded well. Uh, he's averaging double-figure points and, you know, probably seven or eight rebounds. So, uh, you know, just the eye test that I have, you know, through the first three games, he definitely, um, you know, has, has probably played better than Isaiah Jackson. But, you know, Isaiah is young. I mean, he's he, even though he's in his third year, he's only, what, 21 years old. So I think there's a lot of growth opportunity there. But I, I thought off the bench the last couple of games – uh, Neesmith and Jalen Smith, who are fighting for minutes, have, have really, really played well. Yeah, me too. It, it seems like, too, and we'll see, I guess, rotationally speaking, what it looks like once they get into the games and, you know, play some some back-to-back situations and then further down the road. But uh, it looks on paper, right, if you eyeball that, pretty deep of a squad. And, and a lot of things that we haven't seen, a lot of combinations we haven't seen yet play together that I think are incredibly intriguing entering this season. Yeah, I mean, you haven't seen Andrew Nemhard. Uh, it's, I, I believe he'll play on Friday. He had the kidney stone uh, just before they went on the road trip to Houston and Memphis. And I had so kidney stones not- once upon a time, too. Oh, I did, too. I had it in New York, if you remember, four years yeah. ago. I woke up. On the second night of a back-to-back, uh, Andrew and I talked about that. I said, "Hey, I feel your pain because it is the worst pain." Did he pass you're it? Ever gonna Did feel. you pass a kidney stone on the road? I, I passed it. Fortunately, I, I I got the the drugs in the in the hospital and passed it. And so I passed pass mine it, at uh, halftime of uh, the Eastern Green Shackamack basketball game in January of 1986. Oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, I no. thought I thought I may have had. <laughs> This is really bad. I thought I had like VD or something. <laughs> I don't know because I mean you don't know. I'm young and I don't know what's going on down there. It's weird. No, I, so I thought, do I, I have some kind of venereal disease working here? What's happening? So we had played on Friday night in Detroit. We flew to New York. You know, you get in about two, three in the morning. I woke up about seven with a pain in the right side, and I just thought it was from you know working out, overextending myself or whatever. And I got up and I took a shower and I had the hot water hit that area and it still wasn't feeling good. And so I called one of our athletic trainers. I said, Hey, I'm really having some pain here, you know? And he goes, Hey, stop by and see me. And he took one look at me and he goes, you got a kidney stone. (laughs) And I promptly went into the bathroom and threw up. Um, And then they, they got me set to NYU Langham hospital in downtown New York city. I think we were right by Harlem. And they did a great job with me, but I was very fortunate. Uh, the doctor that was there said most people do not pass them when they're at the hospital. Um, and fortunately, I passed it. I, I think Andrews was – he had to have it removed because I think his was too big. But um, Yeah, so he had to be uh, cut open? Well, I don't know. I have oh, no idea. I, I, mean, had, I, just, I had I, to be – I had a gravel pit, apparently, because I passed one and a half of a game, and then I had, I had something they had to go in and get, and they, they had to cut me open. I mean, there's different ways that, you know, they do things now. Right, no doubt. Those kinds yeah. of things. Uh, but I just know that, you know, he had the, the kidney stone and 
and it wipes you out a little bit. There's no question about that. And so I think having Andrew Nemhard back and, and with that second unit, uh, if, if they pair him with T.J. McConnell and they've got Buddy Heald out there and Smith, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty potent second unit. Um, I, I think the thing that they've really focused on, and they, they absolutely know they have to be better. You've talked about it ad nauseum. They've got to be better defensively. I don't think, John, they have to be great defensively but they have to be better. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that, that Rick Carlisle, he, I thought uh, uh, Kevin Bowen and Andy Sweeney did a great job with Rick yesterday. He said, look, we focused a lot on one-on-one and two-on-two basketball. I think, I think they might tell you they overhelped at times. And, and so, and, and what would happen is if you're guarding the ball, you think helps coming. And so maybe you, you know, you lay back a little bit. Well, they're trying to do a better job on the ball, focus on two-on-two basketball, and and not get caught in rotations. Because as Rick said yesterday, the NBA is too talented if you get caught in rotations. The ball movement, teams are playing faster. The ball is moving faster. And so the more you have to rotate, the more you're in trouble. Um, and and so they're, they've really you know focused on one-on-one, guard your yard, guard your man, two-on-two basketball, pick and roll, and and try not to overhelp. I mean, you got to help at times. I mean, those of us who have played basketball know you got to help your teammate, but you can help too much, and that creates a lot of problems. It's like Christian Ari who joins us, and when I talk about Buddy Heald, that's what I bring up. You know, besides elite-level knockdown three-point shooting, or in this case, three-point making, he creates FUBAR in a defensive rotation exactly what rick is referencing right there i think he does that when he's just out there not necessarily even with the ball in his hands but he has to be tagged defensively so much you have to know where he is that sometimes you get two dudes at the same time going out to try to close him out with that thread and leave somebody else wide open so i think that's why he's key and i'll also tell you this this defense is clearly not going to make you know incredible strides this year it's going to be better. I would expect that. But what they can't have happen, Chris, is you can't have a fall off offensively because you need things to more even out, which means you need to keep that offense at a clip. You know, we saw oftentimes at the end of the season a year ago, they'd be scoring a buck 25, 130, 135, and still lose. I think you can close the gap defensively, but you cannot afford with this team to lose any of the offensive prowess that we witnessed a year ago. Would you agree? I agree. I mean, they were 10th offensively last year. They were 28th defensively. So you'd like to think with the talent that you have, uh, adding Obi Toppin, you know, Bruce Brown should help help you on both ends. But specifically, uh, you know, Rick Carlisle has said he's a tier one defensive player in the NBA. So you have that, you know, Benedict Matherin's game has, uh, you know, improved. I mean, he wants to be more of a a well-rounded player. He averaged 17 last year, but he knows he needs to be a better defender, a better passer, a better ball mover. So all of those things, you know, I I think, you know, you look back at the Hawks game, and again, the preseason is such an interesting time because different teams are trying to do different things and certain guys aren't playing. I mean, Trey Young didn't play, Murray, Capella didn't play on Monday. But, you know, the offense was really humming in that second quarter. They outscored the Hawks 43-15. to um, you're not going to do that every night, but I think you're right. I mean, you, you want to maintain that top 10 offense that you have, 
and again improve on the defensive end because if you if you can get into the low twenties uh, from a defensive standpoint, just when you look at all the metrics, that's probably you know worth you know five to eight wins, and and that's going to put you in that area that we've talked about the the forty forty plus wins that you're trying to get to. Uh, so no question, I, I, I don't anticipate this team taking a step back offensively because I think uh, Tyrese Halliburton is that dynamic uh, as a ball handler, scorer, and leader. Um, but you, you definitely need to improve on the defensive end. Hey, Chris, are we going to see our kidney stone brother, in this case Andrew Nimhart, get uh, the, the bench minutes at point over McConnell, or will McConnell take you know, similar minutes as we've seen him do with this team in the past? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think you could see them both play together. I mean, they played together a little bit last year, quite a lot of it when Tyrese Halliburton uh, was out. Um, T.J. McConnell's played really, really well in the preseason. Uh, uh, in the open scrimmage, if you will, on Fan Jam, he, he and Buddy Heald were dynamic uh, in leading the blue team to beat the white. The white had pounded the blue team the day before, and then the blue team returned the favor. So, um, I think those are all the things that the coaching staff is is working through, um, you know, with practice, with uh, you know the preseason, and I, I would think with Andrew Nemhard available on Friday, that's the hope. He did go through a, a full practice yesterday. Um, you'll begin to start to see maybe what what ideas that they have as far as the rotation is concerned. But as the schedule goes along. I mean, you've got a lot of games, a lot of home games early on, but, uh, you know, some back-to-backs, some three and four days. Um, that may dictate how they utilize the, the rotations in the roster. I mean, they may not be married, you know, to a nine- or ten-man rotation. It may be 11 or 12. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, it makes you wonder about that, too. But I've, I've always insisted, much like I have with, with Buddy and his, his three-point making ability for this team, I've always insisted that T.J. McConnell is important because he just brings it at a level in which it elevates everybody else. And to have that presence off the bench, I don't care what you think about what uh, at times, more times than not, has been kind of a broke-ass-looking jump shot from three. But he brings, again, he brings it so much off that bench. I, I just think this team... That would be incredibly missing from you know the type of execution and you know the type of production they have off the bench if that were not there. Just me. Well, and he and he's really worked. He, Jenny Busick has done a tremendous job with TJ on his three point shot. He shot forty four percent last year. Now it's not like he's taken four or five a game, but still to shoot forty four percent to you know he was probably I, I don't have the number in front of me. You know, I'm going to say he was a 33, 34%, probably 33% career three-point field yeah. goal shooter until last year. But he put a lot of time into that because he knew he knows and knew last year that, you know, teams are going to back off on him because he's so good at getting into the lane and shooting that little, you know, 10-foot uh, fadeaway shot that as he added that three-point shot to his arsenal, it made him even more effective in driving the basketball, either scoring or finding a teammate. No, no doubt about that. Um, Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin and Bruce Brown, uh, the impact that you would expect, is this going to be something that's going to take a minute or two, or do you think we're going to see some signs early this season? Well, I think it takes a little bit when you're incorporating two brand-new players into the starting lineup, really three, uh, with Benedict Matherin, you know, basically coming off the bench last year, but he was with the team. So 
but but I think Bruce Brown adds you know a defensive dimension. He was he's a thirty six percent three point shooter. Um, he was a key factor, you know, why Denver won the the title last year. And Obi Toppin, if, if you look at his his numbers, you know, last year basically he averaged fifteen minutes per game and he averaged seven points and three rebounds. But when he got the opportunity to play twenty minutes or more, and I think it only happened like eleven or twelve times. He averaged like 15 points, shot 50%, and and rebounded at a pretty good level. So, you know, he's he's a guy that gives you a little bit bigger body at the four um, when you have to defend people like Giannis and LeBron and, and those type of people. So as much as we look at him uh, running and getting out in transition and getting lobs, you know, they, they need him to be a productive defensive player as well with his size. No, I I agree too. I just I watching Obi Toppin against the Pacers toward the end of the season of those matchups with the Knicks. I mean, it it does kind of help you wonder a little bit what he might be able to do offensively because when when he was you know when when he kind of got you know the uh, restraints, I guess if you will, take it off offensively against that Pacer defense, which really wasn't guarding anybody, boy, you could see this overall repertoire, offensively speaking, was uh, was pretty cool, no doubt. And he, he absolutely loves being here, and, and it has fit right in with the guys. And, you know, played his college basketball at the University of Dayton. He was back home in New York, you know, we're playing professional basketball. But you can just tell the comfort level that he has with this group, with Tyrese and – uh, I think he's a, a a huge asset to this team moving forward, no question. All right, uh, so Friday night, what are you guys doing Friday night? Yeah, we've got the game. Uh, no pregame, no postgame. What? Uh, Quinn, yeah, Quinn and I, 7 o'clock, uh, 7 o'clock with the, the call. And then uh, next week, um, I believe on – we have an uh, we have a half hour uh, it half hour? I think a half hour preseason special that will be on Bally Sports Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, I think that airs Wednesday before the game at five thirty, and then before uh, the home opener on Wednesday against Washington, we have a one hour pregame show at six, and then we'll go on the air at seven. So uh, yeah, we we're all lo- we're ready to go. You know that. The Wizards will have a team. Yeah, Jordan Poole's going to want to score an absolute bucket loads this year yeah. because of what took place with him. Kyle Kuzma's always kind of been a pain here a little bit, it seems. And uh, Tyus Jones, they've got Tyus yeah. Jones now. You're, you're going to see um, this. This team is offensively going to be a lot better than what anybody's thinking. And looking at the names of the roster right now, I guarantee it. John, if you look at the NBA right now, I, I think it's in a great place. You watch a lot like I do. Yes. Um, and I've watched a lot of preseason. I mean, of all the teams that didn't make the playoffs last year, and let's go in the East, they're all better. I mean, Detroit's better. Um, Orlando's better. Charlotte is better. Um, you know, I, some people say, well, Washington, yeah, but they've got guys that can score. They do. And then you go you go to the West. I mean, Wimbayama is going to make a big difference in San Antonio. Um, Oklahoma City's young and really good. Um it, it's going to be a fun year. You you have to be ready to play each and every night. There's no question. It's You're not going to wander in on a game night and just expect to win. I mean, I remember last year Boston went to OKC and got drilled. I think it was by 30 or 40 points. Um, and, you know, we know Boston's one of the best teams, you know, record-wise in the NBA. So, absolutely, I, I, I think – 
you know, as fans look at the schedule and decide what games they want to come to at GameBridge Fieldhouse, um, yeah, there, there are certain players and teams that you circle, but you're going to be entertained every night because there, there, there are a lot of really good players, a lot of great players, and a, it's a, going to be a very competitive year. What was the cause of your kidney stones, Chris? Um, I, I don't, I don't know if they, they really didn't tell me. Um, the one thing is I passed it and then they scanned me just to make sure that there was nothing else there and there was nothing else there. Um, I don't know. They didn't really have, they didn't really tell me. I had mine back in 1986. So as you mentioned, things were a lot different. I had, I was uh, treated, uh, by the surgeon, Dr. Surian down in Monroe County who took no crap whatsoever. I mean, I there was, you know, I talk about not jacking around. There was no jacking around going on. He was completely 100% serious about absolutely everything. But mine was um mine was a combination of too much caffeine and a lot of big red over the years. True well, story. I will say on the caffeine, I, I do drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. And I'm one of those that I can drink coffee at night and still go to bed. I uh, do not drink Big Red. Uh, maybe years ago, I... I, I drank way red. too much of it. That's, that uh, was a major culprit of the reason why I developed. And I mentioned not just one. I had like a gravel pit going. Yeah. my I don't think, you know, because I passed mine, I don't think mine was all that big. But let me tell you, it still, it still hurt. I got it's a... Still, uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it is just unusual with something going on like that, you know, and any dude out there knows exactly what we're talking about right here. So. It was one of those days. I remember it was like seven o'clock. I can't remember. I called Jamie Burns in his hotel room about nine or so. And I said, Jamie, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go tonight. And Pat Boylan was in the studio there getting ready for Pacers Weekly. And, and in fact, we relived this the other day because of Andrew Nemhard and Larry Mago was in town from from Valley Sports uh, in St. Louis. And the phone call that Jamie made to, to Larry and they called Pat and they said, Pat, you know, you got it. You need a coat. You, you know, we're, we're getting you an air, uh, airplane ticket. You've got like an hour to get to the airport and don't check any bags because <laughs> you just got to get there. And so he did the game with Quinn that night at Madison Square Garden. Yep. I walked in so I could get on the bus to go to the airport, and the Pacers won. I think uh, Julius Randle missed, like, two free throws in the final seconds. And I remember walking in, and Nate McMillan looked at me. He goes, what are you doing here? Because he had heard the story. I go, hey, right. I feel a lot better right now. <laughs> well, once you get it out of there, for yeah, I mean, it, you know, mine came out, unfortunately, at the half, standing in front of a urinal like it was a Civil War musket. So, so did you play the second half? I did. I scored eleven points. Well, that's I mean that's you that's yeah. outstanding. Eleven points in the second half against Shackamack after passing a kidney stone. Yeah, I don't know that me, that has that needs I to be. Have been able to do the game that night then, but the problem was <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get checked out of the hospital. Yeah. It's bad news. So our best to Andrew Nemhart because we definitely feel the pain, Chris, without question. Yeah. So yeah, looking forward to seeing him on the floor on Friday. And hey, it's great to be back with you. Look forward to doing this on a regular basis. You got it. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks, John. Chris Denary, voice of the Pacers. 
We have a lot to discuss. The morning wake-up call with KB and Andy. Weekday mornings here on The Fan from 7 until 10 a.m. Or as I like to reference it, the morning wood with Swebo. It's Kevin Bowen with us right now. Uh, There's no other way to look at this. Completely lost season in terms of Anthony Richardson, right? I mean, you can sit back and observe and do all that, and that sounds great, but that's exactly not what we were looking for in this case in his rookie season. Lost? Yes. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, 173 offensive snaps. I know that might might mean like a whole lot to a lot of people, so just to put that into perspective, um, last year, John, the Colts had 39 players on their roster. I mean, 39. You only have, what, 53 on your roster. 39 played more than 173 snaps. Um, you know, when you look at it, how it broke down, it pretty much, pretty much is just, you know, two six-quarter segments. The, the first six quarters of the year and then that six-quarter stretch, the Rams game leading into the Titans game, which obviously he got hurt in, and that would be the final time we've seen him. And Really didn't play on the road at all. Uh, one quarter, that was it. In Houston, got hurt early in that second quarter, and that was the end. So it's kind of interesting, even how that broke down for him. So how many quarterbacks know, played? Did, how many quarterbacks played more snaps than he did a year ago? Ooh, that'd be a good question. Um, you mean Colts quarterbacks? Yeah. Uh, well, certainly Ryan. I, I would. I would guess Ellinger right I mean Ellinger Ellinger played more than Foles right gosh now now you're bringing up last year um, sorry man that's gonna pollute everybody's <laughs> mind <laughs> yeah I'd say definitely Ryan definitely Ellinger I don't know I'm trying to think how much Foles played I mean that that, that Giants game was a game that I'd certainly trying to block out of my memory hold on one second uh, yeah. we have James the producer with the information we're looking for James go all right, Matt Ryan played 846 snaps. That's 846 too many. Go and ahead. And Sam Ellinger had 222. <laughs> okay. Nick Foles only played 83. Ah, so two of the three right there. Two of the three. Kevin Bowen. And, and like, you know, James points out, you know, whatever, 846 for Ryan. I mean, in a typical offensive season, I mean, you would play over 1,000. So, I mean, you, you were looking, hoping, whatever. For over a thousand for Richardson, it was why I was such a big advocate. You know, the night of the draft to play him right away and to get him in the lineup. And I thought Shane Steichen made a great commitment to him. You know, relatively early in training camp, early in the preseason to that. And um, I think that's what you're going to miss: just the the, the week to week grind of being an NFL quarterback, the week to week challenges of. I mean, you got one bye week all year. You don't have whatever Florida insert directional school here that might be an easier opponent. I mean, it's. I mean, look at the challenge on Sunday. What Cleveland's defense? You know, whether it was you know missing out on the Baltimore game, a great road atmosphere, missing out on a big one in Jacksonville on the road last week. Again, those are just the stuff that you can't script. You obviously really, really like what he did on the field. I, I don't think there's any debating that, but. Um, it's simply, you know, whatever, one-sixth, one-seventh of what you would have hoped. And, and so much of just stuff that you can't draw up on a whiteboard and say that experience will be exactly how you're going to feel it, you know, on a Sunday afternoon when you know what's getting real. It's his rookie season, the sequel. This is what it is next year. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I, yeah you could probably look at it like that um i mean certainly it's whatever i guess better than the absolute alternative of not playing but yeah when you have as much limited experience that he he got um that's probably 
a good way to put it. And I, it, I'm, I'm very, like, premature with these thoughts, John, but, like, a, a thought that I kind of had over the course of today was this. I think I exit year one with Richardson, which, again, just saying the phrase, you exit year one on, on October 18th. I mean, that tells you everything that you need to know about it. But I, I almost feel like I exit year one saying, I almost think you can get earlier returns on him than I thought you would. Like, like I do believe he can get to a higher level of play earlier in his NFL career than I thought. Um, but I do have a legitimate worry about just how long that career window looks like for him. It's not so much to do with the shoulder injury specifically. Like I think he'll, he'll recover fine. And you know, Shane Steichen said today, he should be ready for the spring offseason program and all that stuff. It, it's more just, it does, a is he is there an element of injury prone and these things are going to continue to be there and be a part of his career and then B is that career window for him just shorter than maybe you would hope for when you draft a quarterback you think oh yeah he's going to sign two three deals with you he's going to play into his thirties all of that that to me I think is maybe a little bit more of a pressing question and I didn't pay enough attention to that you know in the months of kind of May June and July which one of the things in this case Kev that we think we know carries more weight overall for you, for me, for Colts fans in general, is that from what we've seen, we believe that he's the long-term or from what we have seen, we more question whether or not he's ever going to have that durability to be out there in the long-term. You know, probably us in this market, we, we fall a little bit more to the latter. Um, you know, it's a debate that I've had with myself. Would you have rather seen ups and downs that you expected with him at 21 years old but playing all 17 games? Or would you have rather seen a few more ups than downs, which I think he did have. I think he was better than a, a lot of people, including myself, probably thought. But he only played, you know, whatever it was. Yeah, you'd rather him look like Bryce, Bryce Young so far this season and, yeah. and being, you know, more times than not down than up, but being able to sustain health. That's what you'd rather see. Right. Yeah. Because I think we all thought, I mean, you know, it was, hey, uh, is he going to complete 55% of his passes as a rookie? Like, we all expected these growing pains to be big time and, and maybe more than even most first-round rookie quarterbacks just considering the lack of experience that he did have um, exiting Florida. And, and I think that's what makes it so difficult is now for the next, you know, 10 months, 11 months, he can't really do anything to prove himself. Like, he can't, he can't you know, whatever, quiet any sort of, um, injury question that there might be. And then again, he can't get into those game settings, which is just beyond invaluable. And, and no matter if you look at, okay, Drew Brees had a shoulder issue early in his career. Matthew Stafford had a shoulder issue early in, in their careers. You know, Drew Brees and Matthew Stafford, they don't leave the pocket. And, and, and you know, Richardson style, it, it now becomes, okay, again, how much does he leave the pocket moving forward? Is this something where, you know, a bunch of defensive backs and linebackers injured him this year. Obviously, Harold Landry was the – he hasn't even had the Andrew Luck, Jarrell Casey falls on you in week three of the 2015 season, and that's a 300-pounder. You know, that's kind of the big injury that, that started everything for Luck. So, uh, that's where this is just such, I think, a difficult thing to look at is um, you want to be encouraged, and you should be encouraged by what he showed as a player. Uh, but it, to me, when you draft the guy in the top five at quarterback, the thinking so much is can this be a guy that creates like an eight-year window and in those eight years you make the playoffs whatever six times 
you win the division two or three times and you're making multiple trips to the AFC championship and who knows what happens from there. That That's kind of my thought process of when you do take a quarterback, you, you hit on that, you find success. That's the hope. The hope is you've created this, you know, again, kind of eight-year window, give or take, that you can really capitalize on. Obviously, players come and go within those eight years. But to me, that is the objective. And I think now the question I have is, I think he can get there as a player. I do. I just wonder how long it can last. How close to comparisons that have been made to to luck to Richardson do you think they are? And you can play off of what I say here. I I feel this. I feel that the signature of luck was the extension of the play, which helped do him in, as we know. The signature of Anthony Richardson is running outside the pocket, being that threat with his legs, which so far in his young career did him in this season. I think that there is an equal comparison there. Would you agree? Yeah, I... I think there are some definite comparisons. I mean, the shoulder injuries probably being the one I personally think about the most, even though they aren't the exact same shoulder injury, but it is a throwing shoulder for both of those guys. Um, but I also think stylistically they are different in, in a lot of ways. I mean, certainly they have an element where if, if, if stuff breaks down, they can go win your play. The X and O doesn't work, boom, off script nature they can go do something with that. I think of the Andrew Luck touchdown to Dante Moncrief or a guy in the in the playoff game against the Bengals here. Um, just those sorts of plays where, you know, he's getting hit, whatever. The Aaron Donald play that Richardson made a few weeks ago, Donald's draped on him and he delivers the ball to, to Pierce. Both of them, given their size and their stature and their athletic ability, can do that. But I also think their health, their careers – took off in a much different way. Certainly their college careers uh, probably couldn't be further from different. But, you know, again, Luck did not suffer that injury, that Jarrell Casey hit. That was week three of the 2015 season. Andrew Luck played 50, what, 50 games yeah. without an injury to start his NFL And that was his, his extension of the play was the signature. And we, we'd often talked about how you take too many unnecessary hits, and it was his signature until it wasn't. And then it went downhill. It, and I tend to think Luck's – Luck was a little bit more reckless in that nature. I think Richardson's is – Richardson, if you look at the injuries, a lot of them came on design runs, not necessarily him outright scrambling. He's not – there's this misconception, I think, with Richardson where when stuff breaks down, like he immediately just goes to the run element. He, he really tries to make it work yeah, it, as a thrower. I think yeah. part of that is his poise. He has great poise, I think, in the pocket. It's another area that you like. Um but I think what I'm curious about, I guess, moving forward with Richardson is this. Go back to that Rams game. He misses the Ravens game due to concussion. So for, you know, a full week, really ever since that Houston game, you know, all all of us on our station debated, okay, what's going to change stylistically? You know, does he run less? Does he run smarter? What does he do? First play of the Rams game, he slides. And everybody, Lucas Oil has a little bit of a Bronx cheer and that. And I never felt like watching Richardson play quarterback this year. I didn't think he did things too, too reckless. If you want to nitpick, maybe that last play against the Jags when it, when you know they were down ten, it was kind of a must-have situation. You know, maybe he was a little bit too crazy at that point. But I think time and score di- dictates a lot of that. But I don't look at him and think this is Josh Allen or this is Andrew Luck that on a second and four they just act like it's the fourth down of a Super Bowl. Um, I, I didn't get that impression from Richardson. 
And I guess fast forward to next year, that's what I'm most curious about is, and Shane Steichen was obviously asked the playing style question today. And Shane was quick to mention, you know, okay, that's something we'll look at a little bit more during the off season and, and dive really deep into that. But his leg element is such a weapon. He, he, he was very quick to go there. And I agree wholeheartedly with that statement. And that's why I've kind of come around to the phrase, John, of you don't, and I don't think you can eliminate that, but I do think you can limit some of the design runs. And if you add it up, let's say he had eight design runs per game. If that now becomes, you know, four design runs per game, the threat is still there. The defense still fears you like they don't fear Gardner Minshew. So that is always going to be there, and it's going to be very advantageous for your offense. But if you eliminate four hits per game and you get to the end of the year, that's 50 hits that he didn't take that maybe he would have taken had he not gone through the season that he had. Does that extend his seasons? Does that extend his career at all? I I think that is an avenue to where you still have it in your offense. It's still a threat, and – there are particular you know, key moments in, in, in games and seasons where you do utilize that. But if you just limit it a little bit, maybe from a longevity standpoint, that can help them out. Hey, Kev, here's how I look at this, too, is that now it's more essential than ever. And it was super essential prior to that he develops as a pocket-passing presence slash threat moving forward as well because you mentioned still being that threat and that is great but I often wonder at what point is it going to be viewed and I think it basically takes one hit one missed game one situation as we've seen this season so far to where running outside the pocket so many times and I know you talked about decreasing those numbers as early as next year from the playbook but it's going to take one or two and then people are going to be saying all right as reckless as luck was outside the pocket trying to extend the play this type of thinking regarding your quarterback is also considerably reckless reckless and I think that's that may be the path we're going down that's why it's essential for his development now more than ever as being able to put the ball where it needs to be and also having better weapons than what they have right now moving forward yeah I think a lot of there's so much truth in a lot of what you just said there Um, and probably your your first point is what I agree with the most just about his development as a pocket passer. Um, you know, if you look at the career of, you know, if you want to go way back, you know, Steve McNair late in that Tennessee career was not running it like Steve McNair did early in his career. Um, you know, obviously Michael Vick had a ton of off the field stuff, but the Vick in Atlanta wasn't necessarily the Vick that you saw in Philadelphia. And the Philadelphia Vick wasn't a great, great thrower, but I mean, he still had 3,000 yard seasons when he, you know, whatever, made his comeback with with the Eagles. So I look at it, Andy and I actually had this debate after watching Monday Night Football. Like, I don't by no means do I think Justin Herbert or Dak Prescott are the poster child for elite quarterback play in the NFL. I think they both are pretty good quarterbacks, though. But I think their styles, if you were creating the ideal mold of a quarterback in terms of a long-term career, and it's fresh in my mind because I just watched on Monday night, their style of play is what you want. They both are throwers first. 
but they both, and we saw it on Monday night, Prescott had the touchdown run especially, they both can make plays with their legs if you kind of fall asleep or if things do break down. And now I'm curious, can Richardson develop more of the throw first? I can do a little bit of, you know, whatever, scramble, off script, things break down second. He's, he's much more of a dynamic runner than Herbert or Prescott to kind of carry that on. But he certainly needs to grow more as a passer. And that, I think, is, again, going back to the encouraging signs you saw from him in year one, you know, whether it was 60% or I don't think he threw a bunch of turnover-worthy balls. He made some plays down the field, you know, especially that first half of the Jacksonville game. He was highly efficient right out of the gate. Uh, Those are some signs that you can kind of point to and say, all right, does he become whatever? his game is 80% throw, 20% run, you know, a little bit more of that. Whereas, you know, I think for his rookie season, you know, certainly those percentages would not have been accurate. That on that honestly will help, you know, again, the longevity of his career and certainly just help uh, kind of overall how dual threat he can be and how much fear he can strike into an opposing defense. Yeah, it's, it's essential now more than ever. Kevin Bowen of the morning show. It's the morning wake-up call with KB and Andy, 7 until 10 a.m. Weekday mornings here on The Fan. All right, Kev, a year ago, we'll just say maybe it ended prior to Halloween, but a week after Halloween, being embarrassed by New England, and then the season basically came to an end. We know what happened after that. Frank Wright gets canned, blah, blah, blah. Has this season ended before Halloween this year with this news concretely done today and then even looking at a schedule which is still incredibly soft but you look at this team the way that it is will factor in Grover Stewart's uh, non-participation for the next six weeks as well is this season over before Halloween well, the unquestioned biggest storyline is over, and that was the development of Richardson. So if you looked at the lens of the season through that, which I probably was one that looked at it yeah. certainly big time through through that, yeah, you can make that case. Again, you don't go 4-12-1 to watch Gardner Minshew quarterback your football team for three months. I mean, that's that's not what you do. You go 4-12-1 to you know have the young rookie grow, and, and you watch the baptism by fire and the growing pains and all that. So – uh, for your biggest storyline, yes. Uh, but first off, I think there's a lot of other important storylines because when you talk about Richardson, it's development and it's support. Well, development is now gone for the rest of the season. Support can still be there. You know, it, it, you know, Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, Jonathan Taylor is obviously under contract for a few more years. Is Bernard Ryman the definite left tackle of the future? You know, flip over to the other side of the ball. Is Juju Brents, you know, is that going to be finally a second-round cornerback hit for Chris Ballard? You know, Leonard and Moore in, in, in contract years. You know, those sorts of questions that that you would have. So I think there's a lot that you can still watch there. Um, and then if you do want to talk, you know, AFC South playoff standings, well, I don't think they will make the playoffs. Um, I, I also sit here a little bit and I'm like, can Gardner Minshew give you 2021 Carson Wentz? Because if he can do that, I mean, Jonathan Taylor has proven to be an elite runner in this league. And that team, obviously, until the end of the season, had a golden opportunity to make the postseason. And if you look at any sort of standings race right now, it's not like you're three games back of anything. I mean, honestly, Sunday, you're playing P.J. Walker and the Browns. And if you win, you are in the wild card picture and the Browns are behind you. And then you face 
a Saints team at home that has not been very good this year. It's been up and down. That's probably the better way to put it. And then you play the two easiest teams in the league in Carolina and New England. If Jacksonville goes out tomorrow and they lose and you win on Sunday, you're back tied with them. Obviously, you don't have the head-to-head tiebreaker. But it, you are right there. So, again, I don't think this is a team that's going to have staying power in this, the, the, the South and in the wild card. But as you sit here in the middle of October, there are certainly opportunities to be had. And you and I have talked about this since the schedule came out in May, and it was a big reason why I, I thought this team would be a little bit closer to 500 than most. I just think the schedule's a joke, and, and I think it continues to be a joke. Um, you know, it's a ton of coin flip games the rest of the way. And outside of at Cincinnati in December, I, I don't see a game where they're going to be more than a three or four point underdog really the rest of the season. And who knows what Cincinnati will even look like then. So um, again, the biggest long-term most important storyline. Yes, that is done. And that is over. But, you know, for those that you know want to see their team in playoff contention deeper into the season, I, I do think there is an ability on paper to try and achieve that. Um, I just think once you get to Christmas and New Year's, it's it's not going to be there. So, Kev, three home dates in December, right, coming up this year. Will those be the final three chances for Colts fans to see Grover Stewart in a Colts uniform? Um, I, I, I'm going to say no on that. I, 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 I frankly thought Shane Steichen stood by him today. I thought Sykin's com- I mean, if you look at Shane Sykin's comments about Grover Stewart being suspended for six games, and you look at Chris Bauer's comments about Isaiah Rogers, and I know gambling and PEDs are, are, are not the exact, obviously they aren't the same, but I mean, two totally different comments. Now, you know, Grover's certainly a better player than Isaiah Rogers. Maybe that plays into it. Um, but man, I, I, I mean, I got the vibe from Sykin today. He was talking about, you know, his son. I mean, great character and, you know, teammates gravitate towards him, and he made a mistake. It wasn't malicious, blah, 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 you know, those sorts of things. So, um, What would have Frank I, Reich I said? Maybe, what would Frank Reich have said, you think, a year ago, if that would have taken place then? Yeah, I think Frank would have expressed a, a lot of it more of a highly disappointed that, I, I, again, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe yeah. Grover did make some honest mistake, but I, I, don't, I think Frank would have been a little bit – I, 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 the reason why I brought that up is I think Frank would have said the same thing, basically. Yeah, I, I don't know. Shane, I mean, he's had some public accountability moments this year. Yeah, no, yeah and you're right. You're absolutely words. right. Yes. And he had a chance to certainly send a message to his locker room, to Grover, whoever he wanted to today, and he chose to take a big-time standby at high road and – in high road, I don't even think it's a way to put it. I, I I think he genuinely believes this was an honest, honest mistake, and they still really like Grover Stewart in that building. So um, I, I, I'm not ready to say that just yet. Part of it is to do with the quality of player he is. Part of it is to do with I have no idea what the future would hold at that position. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not ready to say that just yet. Yeah, no, that, make, that makes sense, too. I just uh, It occurred to me that – that sounded like something today what Frank would have said regarding a a similar situation. And, and I also do understand, I'm assuming you do too, we don't know exactly what took place, but the whole trump card of this is ultimately you missing these six games. And there's just there's no way around that, especially when you're that necessary of a component 
to a team that needs all hands on deck anyway. And the last thing you yeah, do need to see that. was this dude to have the uh, plug pulled on him for six weeks, no matter, you know, again, how it happened, it happened, and that's how you have to view it. Without question. I mean, go back to the fourth and one against Tennessee a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, it, uh, on that play, I think DeForest Buckner starts all of it. I know Zaire Franklin makes the big play, and he labels himself the Kingslayer and all of that afterwards. But to me, Buckner starts that play. He, he's the one that initiates that. Well, if you're Tennessee and you take a timeout on the third and one and you come out for the fourth and one, you no longer sit there and think to yourself, should we double Stewart here or should we double Buckner? And for the next month and a half, it's double Buckner every time. So now if Buckner is doubled, does Franklin have as clean of a shot on that play? Does Henry get a little bit more of a head of steam? And that fourth and one, I mean, that, that literally could have been the difference in that game. Tennessee punches that in. They score. You know, the Colts obviously don't make up. You know, the Colts obviously can't milk the rest of the clock. They are now down. They would have to react to that. So, I mean, those are the plays when you're talking about coin foot games. You're talking about Cleveland that obviously is going to want to run it, given their quarterback situation, a whole lot on Sunday. You know, the fact that you're losing, you're not only losing one of your best players, you maybe have turned DeForest Buckner from all pro caliber to uh, pro bowl, fringe pro bowl caliber. Nothing to do with Buckner himself. It just might be that teams just start double teaming them like no other because they don't need to worry about Grover Stewart as much on those rundowns. So, yeah, I mean, it is a huge loss at a critical time which with a bunch of coin flip games. Zaire Franklin may have 35 tackles on Sunday. Knows. So, 35 tackles on Sunday. And then what it also does is knowing Kev the secondary. Again, when I mentioned all hands on deck, it, it certainly is true there. And when you take you know away the type of involvement you get and absolutes up front, you know, we know this to be true. It doesn't help the back end whatsoever. That is problematic as well. What do you guys got going on in the morning, bud? Uh, we're going to have Will Carroll join us. We had Will on last Tuesday, injury expert. I think you've heard him on all of our shows yep. here. Um, but certainly has a bit of a baseball background. And honestly, I think this injury is a little bit more baseball-centric. I know a lot of different baseball doctors, consultants, uh, were, were, were people the Colts reached out to. So, what does surgery mean, and what does the rehab process look like? Those sorts of things. Hopefully, Will can answer. Uh, certainly, has much more of a medical hat, which blends into sports as well than uh, than I can wear. Hey, Kev, really quick here. You don't have to be long winded about it, but do you think had Andrew Luck not been in the rear view, would have they just rehabbed this injury and had their rookie quarterback return this year? Well, it's a great question. Um, certainly luck, I think. I mean, plenty of influence on this. Plenty of it. Yeah, how it played out, especially for the owner. I mean, the medical staff, of course, is pretty much still intact from, you know, when, when all of that went down. I know the injuries aren't exactly the same, but, yeah, I think that was – I mean, that, and I would say even Richardson, I mean, several injuries. I mean, his first game, Trevor Lawrence is meeting him in midfield, telling him, protect yourself, protect yourself. I, I, I think that also. But, yeah, Andrew Luck's situation – because if you go back to 2015, just real quick, John, that was such a win-now season. I mean, you remember yes. it, goal, yes. Andre Johnson, yeah. all that. He felt like he had to get back in that season, whereas if he would have sat a little bit longer or even had surgery after the year and not felt like 2016 was the new win-now season, who knows? Things could have been a lot different. I just, I, th- I think they've handled that uh, differently. It, or either that or it's worse than – that obviously what we we think right now but uh anyway you guys i'm sure will be talking about that tomorrow morning and i'll catch you on uh sunday morning as well right this weekend yes sir all yep. right yep all right buddy i appreciate you kev 